I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3 Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. On this episode, how to deal with drug-impaired driving is one of the big questions as we approach the date when cannabis becomes legal in Canada. And concerns are now being raised about the device the federal government has approved for police to test drivers they suspect have been using marijuana. It's Thursday, August 30th. Baydad Mahichi is a reporter with the Vancouver Sun. So, Baydad, what can you tell me about the device that the federal government approved this week for cannabis testing? Yeah, so it's it's this device. It's called Draeger Drug Test 5000. Um, Draeger itself is a company that's been around for more than 120 years. Um, many of the lawyers I spoke to today say that, who do specialize in roadside prohibition, say that this is one of the most high-end technologies available within the realm of technologies that look to do this very uh, this very thing. So Draeger seems to be the obvious choice right now, but it's worth noting that when the government did a pilot project putting two different devices to the test, this was not one of them. Oh, really? Yeah, and, and, and the company itself, and no one really is saying that it detects impairment, but it does say that uh, it detects THC, the psychoactive component of cannabis, in one saliva. How does the device detect the THC in a person's uh, body? So essentially what would happen is, let's say someone pulls you over, when the police have a reasonable suspicion that you may be impaired with a drug in your body, they can enforce the test. The device coming to Canada basically can detect two different things, THC and levels of cocaine. Um, what happens is there's a swab that's attached to this little cassette stick, and you have to swish around that swab in your mouth for about one to four minutes. Once that's collected uh, and you have enough saliva collected, the swab is supposed to turn blue, and at that point, that swab and the cassette both go to what the main part of the device is, which is something that kind of looks like a Keurig coffee maker. Um, and it's said to take about 10 minutes to analyze the saliva that was collected. And once it's done, that's sent to a portable printer, which the officer can then print out and show you your results. The feds have set uh, a limit um, for what they feel is in a level of THC that would register you as drug impaired but one of the concerns with this machine is that it doesn't test impairment what are lawyers saying about the machine so the lawyers that i spoke to a few that were from here in, in vancouver from a law firm called acumen which is kind of on the forefront of dealing with uh, drinking driving cases already they've they've raised a number of concerns that have to do with uh, how the process is done, and also this specific device. Uh, so Kyla Lee, she's one of those lawyers, she's a criminal defense lawyer. Uh, she says that immediately when this thing rolls out, there's going to be like numerous court challenges ac across the country. And if you were to categorize them, they would most likely be challenges on its accuracy and invasiveness. So when it comes to its accuracy, there's concern that what temperatures it can operate in might not fit with Canada. So the manual says it's ranging between 5 to 40 degrees Celsius for its optimal performance. And we know that it can get a bit colder than that here in Canada. So she says that the device would turn up either false positives or false negatives in colder conditions. So that, that means she fears that she, someone could get charged, basically, um, when they shouldn't be, or someone might be let go when they shouldn't be. Um, when it comes to the invasiveness aspect, 
she says that side can merit for more constitutional challenges. So there's concern to how long this test could take. Uh, you have to remember that this all happens on, on the side of the road, right? So, so she says that you can't eat or drink anything for 10 minutes prior. The swab would, again, take no more than four minutes, but the analysis inside the main device would take about 10 minutes. So all in all, it could take up to 25 to 30 minutes. And the lawyer is suggesting that that there could be grounds for constitutional challenges on invasiveness. And that's because the search itself is said to be far more invasive than, than breath tests. And even breath tests for alcohol, when they were first introduced, they themselves were kind of subject to challenges in court as well, uh, which did actually find them to be unconstitutional and violated the charter. But it did, it did, uh, it was saved and was able to kind of go ahead uh, because of something called the Oaks test. Okay. Now the Oaks test is, yeah, it's it's basically what it says is that uh, it's minimally invasive and um, there is objective with sufficient importance for it to go ahead. Yeah, and I could see that that test being applied in this case as well. If if the Crown were to make an argument that people who are driving under the influence of cannabis um, are a danger, that the that could be applied in this case as well, that there's a need to do that test. But just to take it back, so what you're saying is that um, there's a concern that the machine, the Drager Drug Test 5000, which is quite quite the name for a drug testing <laughs> machine, um, that it may not work properly in the bulk of Canada for more than half a year. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> correct. There's this concern as to it even operating correctly in, in cold conditions. Okay. And it gets cold pretty early here in the fall. Of course. In, in, in a lot of places. Um, so what did these lawyers that you talked to, what did they say that they're looking at uh, doing when it comes to the Dreger drug test 5000? Um, so, so these lawyers, again, they have done this for drinking and driving. They have put forward challenges to uh, breathalyzers that they found to, to be um, ineffective. And that, in turn, has, has changed the way that police officers uh, use these devices or, or which devices they use. So what they're saying in this case is that that would happen immediately when these devices get on the road. They're going to wait for one of these cases to come forward. And um, they expect it's going to be obviously with them because they, they're on the forefront of dealing with these roadside prohibition cases. Mm-hmm. And they expect to take one or the other angle. It could be very much a constitutional challenge. It could not be. But what they expect is that they are going to um, launch a legal case uh, that will ultimately uh, just kind of squash this part of le- the legislation and aim at changing how these devices are enforced and used. Mm-hmm. Now, police forces don't necessarily have to use this device. This is just something that's being approved for use in Canada by the feds, correct? Yeah, that's correct. They have the option to use it or to look at a different device. Okay. Or um, at some point, they would be able to test blood and urine as well. If someone is uh, deemed impaired at the roadside, could they take somebody in for further testing or would they have to use a device roadside first before they could go for a more invasive test? So they would use, if there is a reasonable suspicion that someone is uh, impaired, they would use this um, device. It's basically meant as 
a tool for police officers to use this device to assess impairment before making the decision to take someone back to the uh, department and, and uh, assessing them further there with, with multiple steps. So this is kind of uh, the middle step that is meant to kind of help officers out. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's also reasonable, there's, there's also questions as to what reasonable suspicion means, um, which would technically merit the test, right? So yeah. that's not really fully fleshed out in the law, but then that's part of the concern. Um, and it's always been the biggest challenge in this field of enforcement is, is what is the most effective way to detect drug impairment for cannabis. You know, and in reports like one from the Canadian Centre of Substance Abuse, they kind of point to things like red eyes, the smell of pot, lapse in attention. But, you know, those are things that are easy to hide. They're, they're also things that won't likely be the case for everyone. So mm-hmm. that's also going to be an area to look at because it's going to be ever-evolving and ever-changing. We'll be right back. I want to tell you about a discount we're offering exclusively for 10.3 listeners on all post-media digital subscriptions so you can get access to more great reporting on the legalization of cannabis and other issues that matter to you. When subscribing to the National Post, Vancouver Sun, Edmonton Journal, Ottawa Citizen, Montreal Gazette, Saskatoon Star Phoenix, or the Regina Leader Post, just enter promo code PODCAST and you'll get 50% off a one-year digital subscription. It's a great way to stay informed. Again, that's promo code PODCAST. And when uh, edibles come into the mix, those aren't won't be legal right away, but officers won't necessarily be able to look for the smell of pot on somebody if they've eaten something as well. Exactly. Um, and so it, it still is a little fuzzy. Um, now, what has the company said about the charge that their device isn't reliable in certain conditions? Yeah, so... The company, of course, has come to the defense of of its product. You know, that's no surprise, but it it, uh, has pointed to things like the fact that uh, they've operated for uh, over 10 years now and and they they are currently using these products in over 40 jurisdictions around the world, including countries in Hmm. Europe, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, and and elsewhere. Um, As for the cold weather aspect, he says that uh, those arguments really are nothing because the swab and the cassette are not affected by cold weather. That's what uh, the uh, Canadian director for the company says. He says the main device, which is that Keurig coffee maker looking thing, that does mm-hmm. the analysis and that would technically stay in the police car and, and won't be affected by extreme temperatures outside. Um, and he also says in the case that it is, the device uh, is built for functionality to either heat or cool the machine to kind of meet its temperature levels to function optimally. Um, as for the effectiveness, uh, pointed out in certain studies, uh, like one in Norway that points to kind of a, a lack in effectiveness compared to blood tests. He says that this device can't really be compared uh, to those studies because it's going to be vastly different in Canada. So this device mm-hmm. will take some modifications before coming to Canada. Uh, basically what he means is is this device is not going to test for what it usually tests for, which is seven different drugs in one saliva. It's only going to test for THC and levels of cocaine. Um, And uh, that's why he says it's not comparable to that study. Uh, And he also says that the limit would be much higher. So the cutoff would be very different. 
in, in other jurisdictions, he, he points out that these drugs are illegal. Yeah. So there's a very, very low cutoff. But in Canada, uh, I think the cutoff for the drug is something like 25 nanograms per milliliter in, in someone's blood. So that's why it's supposed to actually uh, only indicate that someone has a high level of THC at a, at a much greater threshold. Okay. And so uh, the concern about getting false positive or false negatives, the company says, isn't as big a concern because we're not testing for any trace amounts. It's for a higher amount. And so they say, don't worry about the false positives or negatives because it's not the same test that's been done elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. So basically he says that um, the measurement is going to be much different in Canada than it is in, in other countries that it's already used because because of legalization. So this machine, the drug test 5000, it measures levels of THC that are detectable, I guess your blood level, but it's detectable through your saliva, right? Right. Okay. And the concern with the studies that you had mentioned and the effectiveness, what was the level of false negatives and false positives that was seen in that study? So in other jurisdictions where it's used, such as Australia, um, the police in, tw- in 2016 basically came out and said that uh, accurate results only came out two-thirds of the time. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so that was one of the primary examples. Another one was uh, a summary example from Norway where they tested 300 drivers and they said that within both blood samples and oral samples, um, there was a fairly large portion of false positive or false negative results in the oral sample uh, compared to the blood. Uh, So those are the two primary kind of um, results that people are pointing to to uh, indicate or to to show that this device may not actually be very accurate when it comes to enforcement. Okay. And from the policing side of things, is this something that's seen as... Um, just a tool in the tool belt, so to speak, or is this l- being looked at as, oh, this is the um, cure-all that we need for dealing with this at the roadside? I think I think this this is majorly seen as, as more just a tool because there there are steps that come afterwards before a charge is laid, but it is it is one that needs to be done right, like everything else, and and obviously. There are there is great concern as to you know the time it takes for example, and the fact that it collects saliva, uh, you know technically a type of DNA. Um, police also you know they have to go through extensive training and everything to get get the ball rolling on all this. And and there was the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police, uh, I think last month said that they are unlikely going to reach their goal of having two thousand officers trained uh, with these devices before. Um, legalization. And the manufacturers mm-hmm. of this device actually say that it's going to be ready to distribute in four to six weeks. So that could put us literally the week before legalization. And that's, wow. that's um, it's a it's a different timeline to work with. It's diff- def- definitely a difficult one. So for now, uh, police forces will just have to rely on the, the observational tools that they use uh, when they pull somebody over to determine whether uh, they've been driving erratically or if they're behaving as though they might be under the influence of drugs like they currently have. Exactly, yeah. And, and it'll be up to every municipality, every police department to uh, take up this this device. Okay. 
Uh, Baydad, thanks. Thanks for having me. Despite concerns being raised about the accuracy of the drug test 5000 and how it functions at colder temperatures, the federal government has said that police forces across the country will be trained on how to properly maintain the device. And the head of the Canadian Police Association doesn't appear phased by the criticism either. Tom Stamatakis, who's also head of the Vancouver Police Union, spoke with CBC's The National about the issue. He said, quote, Am I confident that it's going to work perfectly off the bat, or am I concerned whether or not the testing was rigorous as it possibly could? I think you can always find issues with pieces of equipment like that. End quote. Meanwhile, Calgary police say they'll be more reliant on traditional screening techniques than on new testing devices. Constable Dan Kurz told the Calgary Herald that roadside assessments of balance, memory, and coordination are a better gauge of actual impairment than a number. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama and Carrie Ann Sprawl. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.